If you're new to First Baptist Church, yes, we had vacation Bible school this week. The platform doesn't always look like this, uh, but we had a great week. Those tired people you see around you were here as volunteers and servants for vacation Bible school, and we wouldn't have it any other way, would we? What a, what a great week we had. Just to give you kind of an idea, the high attendance night, Wednesday, 243 people at Vacation Bible School, average attendance through the week, uh, 225, and on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, I go into classrooms, first grade through sixth, and share the gospel and talk about Jesus and what it means to be a Christian, uh, and then offer students an opportunity to make a decision for Christ. Uh, 45 students this week indicated decisions. Now, let me clarify, the way I say that is intentional. 45, and praise God for that. I'm not stopping you from clapping. You go ahead. 45 students indicated decisions, meaning they might be a first-time decision for Christ. They might be uh, firming up their prior decision for Christ. They might be recommitting their life to Christ. They might be showing their hand to say, I have more questions. But they're taking a step of faith. Now, Parents, grandparents, guardians, friends, neighbors, aunts, uncles, in-laws. Uh, we want you to follow up with those children first. Okay, we will do our best to reach out to them. If you have questions, call me, uh, call their vacation Bible school teacher. But you are on the front line right there at home. If they brought a bag home from Thursday night, those bags acknowledge that they were among those that indicated a decision so follow up with them on that. Talk to them about that decision. Help them understand and clarify what it is. So in turn, they can keep going. They can follow through in faith. And uh, maybe it's to be baptized. Maybe it's to join fellowship with First Baptist Church or both. Maybe it was a fresh commitment. Maybe they have questions. Talk to them about that decision. And let us know if you need any help with that. Why does Vacation Bible School matter? It matters the same reason the Gospel Project matters, our Bible studies matter, our D6 family ministry matters, because we are always one generation away from losing the church, and we are always one generation away from losing the nation. It's just that simple, and the condition of our nation is largely because uh, people that understand better than Christians do this very fact have been indoctrinating our kids for generations. They have them a whole lot more time than the church does. But parents, you have them all the time. So what are you teaching them? What are they learning from you? What does discipleship mean right at home? What does the Bible mean right at home? Uh, if you wonder what I'm talking about, let me, let me say it this way. This morning we're going to talk about the battle before us. So the battle before us is the battle for God's truth. It's, a, it's an ideological worldview belief battle. Other battles matter. Politics matters. Finances matter. Economy matters. Climate matters. Race matters. But all of those boil down to what we believe because what we believe always dictates how we behave. It always dictates the policies our families have, our government has, our state has. It always dictates what we do as a church. What we believe dictates how we behave. And the battle before us is the battle for God's truth. It's the battle for belief, for ideologies. And we are seeing those bat that battle raged in our nation like never before. This past November, on November 28th, uh, Dr. Johnson Barkey was teaching his class at St. Philip's College in San Antonio, Texas. Dr. Barkey had been teaching there for 22 years. 
as an adjunct professor of biology and physiology. For 22 years, he had taught his students basic biology. And among the basics of biology that he taught is the basic foundational truth that sex is determined by X and Y chromosomes at birth. On November 28th, when he taught his class and said that, four students stood up and stormed out and filed a complaint with the college. Uh, the core of their complaint went like this. They said that Dr. Varnke engaged in religious preaching, discriminatory comments about homosexuals and transgender individuals, anti-abortion rhetoric, and misogynistic banter, and that his teaching, quote, pushed beyond the bounds of academic freedom with his personal opinions that were offensive to many individuals in the classroom. In January of 2023, Dr. Varnke was fired. Excuse me? That's right. He was fired for teaching basic biology, scientific fact about sex and biology. That he'd been teaching there for 22 years. In fact, he had received outstanding evaluations up to that point. Now pay attention to this. There's two things I want you to really hone in on here. For 22 years. So for 22 years, what were those four students doing while he was teaching biological truth? They were growing up in our nation and in our schools. And then they showed up inculcated and indoctrinated by ideologies that have nothing to do with science or fact. When they stood up and stormed out, this is the second, second thing to hone in on, they literally walked out on the truth. That's where we are as a nation. The battle before us is a battle for truth and especially God's truth. So this morning, we're going to look at this closely through the lens of the teaching of the Apostle Paul because our battle's not much different from the, that battle that's been down through the ages, nor is our preparation or our defense. We need to be ready, and we need to have our children and families and church ready to stand firm when the battle hits us and hits home. Find with me in your Bible, the New Testament book of Colossians, and find there chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2, and just hold your place there for a moment. Uh, we'll read a section in just a minute. But uh, the Christians in this city of Colossae were also having uh, an ideological battle with other people around them. And some of the Christians were vulnerable to these falsehoods and these false beliefs. And it was trickling into the church. And the core of it was who God is and who we are, who human beings are. Just like in our nation today, in our schools, in our population, the core problem, the ideology, the belief in the battle before us is about human nature itself, humanity itself. Well, the Colossians had a similar problem, but it started with who Jesus is and who God is. So if you go back and read the book of Colossians, what you'll find is in chapter 1, uh, Paul unfolds an extraordinary and majestic painting in words of who Jesus Christ is, God himself in human flesh. He is the image of the invisible God, Paul says, the firstborn over all creation. All things, Paul says, were, were created for him, by him, and through him. And because he exists, Paul says, pay attention to this, because Jesus Christ, the Son of God, exists, he sustains all things. Let that sink in. 
If for a moment Jesus Christ either ceased to exist or stepped back from his hand on the universe, all that we are would disappear. His very existence as our creator sustains it. This majestic picture that Paul paints in his words and Colossians prepares him for what comes next. If you know who he is, Christ, then you should know who you are. The battle before us is a battle for humanity itself, for who we are. It's a belief battle. And everything we do and believe about ourselves comes out of that. Paul addresses the Colossians just like he would address us today. And the reason he's addressing the church is because these false beliefs can trickle into the church and it's happening even now. Perhaps you've heard of progressive Christianity. And progressive Christianity is leaking into and being adopted into uh, a church that purports to be Christian across America. It's, it's the views that are wholly and absolutely incompatible with Christianity and even unbiblical and ungodly, but they're being adopted into the church. Paul would say to us today the same thing he said to the Colossians then. He would say the battle before us is a battle of belief. And ideologies. Look with me at Colossians chapter 2. We're going to start reading at verse 3 where he has just left off his words about the nature of Jesus Christ and he makes a statement of, about wisdom and knowledge. I'm going to tell you what verse 3 says about uh, wisdom and knowledge being hidden in Christ because a lot of the false beliefs that came into the Colossian church claimed that they had true wisdom, they had true knowledge. Paul says, apart from Christ, you don't know anything about God or humanity. He has true wisdom. In verse 3, he says, in him, that is Christ, are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I'm saying this, what's he saying? I'm talking about Jesus Christ, so that no one will deceive you with arguments that sound reasonable. For I, I may be absent in body, but I'm with you in spirit, rejoicing to see how well-ordered you are and the strength of your faith in Christ. So then, just as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to walk in Him, being rooted and built up and established in the faith, just as you were taught and overflowing with gratitude. Be careful that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deceit based on human tradition, based on the elements of the world, rather than Christ. The pivot point for the whole passage, and, and really for the whole letter of Colossians, is verse 8. Verse 8 is Paul's core warning and teaching. Everything arises out of this and in the letter to the Colossians. He says, be careful. That is, watch out. That no one, and this, this, this assumes someone familiar, that no one you're listening to, you might say, takes you captive through philosophy and empty deceit. Uh, this passage we've read is full of military metaphors, and this is the first one. Be careful that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deceit. The term translated captive comes from the military uh, when they would, an invading army would come in and they would conquer the opposition. They would carry off captives. Uh, they would carry them off as slaves and they would carry off all kinds of bounty that they had, they had captured during the battle or during the war. And Paul says, don't let that happen to you in your thinking and in your mind. You are under attack. And there are those who would carry off your worldview. 
And then he says, they'll be taken captive by philosophy or empty deceit or empty thoughts, and sometimes translated vain deception. Now, that sounds like Paul's against philosophy. In fact, a lot of people have interpreted it that way. And as one who's taught philosophy at five different academic institutions, uh, let me clear this up. The word translated philosophy, it's the only place in all of Paul's letters he uses this word. It refers to the pursuit of wisdom. What did he just say in verse 3? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the one who has all the wisdom and knowledge. In fact, in the original Greek, that word philosophy is preceded by a definite article, the. He's referring to the philosophy, that is, the philosophy that's being imposed on you that is not of Christ. A worldview, a belief system that's not of Christ. Don't let anyone bring that into your life, anyone bring that into the church. Don't start getting convinced of that or you will be carried off as if you are the spoils of war by that deception and by that deceit. That's what we see happening all around us. That's why it's important to understand. The battle before us is an ideological belief, worldview, truth battle. It all starts there. And there are those in particular who who are imposing on the church and the culture other beliefs about the most basic things, who God is, who the world is, and who we are. Paul says, be careful, watch out. Don't be caught off guard because they're bringing it to you too. And don't be carried off and captured by that philosophy. Remember true wisdom and true knowledge is always in Christ. So how can we better prepare for this battle before us? That's what I want to park on for just a minute. Look at a couple of things with me from the words from Paul that we read to help us prepare personally, to help us prepare our families and our children and our church as we move forward in this generation of belief battles, as we defend God's truth in this battle that's before us. What do we need to know and what do we need to do? The first thing is to recognize the danger. To recognize the danger. Verse 4, Paul says, I'm saying this, that is everything I just talked about, so that no one will deceive you with arguments that sound reasonable. No one will deceive you with arguments that sound, sound reasonable. It refers to deceptive, persuasive speech. He doesn't mean reasonable in the sense of logical. What he means is that they sound persuasive. It sounds persuasive to say you can choose your gender. It sounds persuasive to say no one should stop you from loving anyone or anything that you want to love. That, that sounds persuasive. I mean, it sounds like we would be intolerant not to let someone do whatever they want to do, right? Don't be carried away by that. Paul says, there are things that sound reasonable. So how do, you, how do you recognize that these things that are persuasive, that sound reasonable, how do you recognize that they are actually deceptive? And the way Paul phrases this, deception, falsehood, is the core characteristic of those worldviews that are imposed on us from the culture. So how do we recognize this dangers of these worldviews? Well, in verse 8, he gives us three clues. He says, first of all, Uh, They are human in nature. They are of humanity, based on human tradition, that is to say. Uh, They're not of God. They're not biblical. 
You didn't get them from the Bible. You got them from the world. And they become the narrative of the age and of the conversation. And, and narratives are very, very persuasive. Uh, a narrative is different from the news. See, and, and now our culture is all about the narrative and not the news. So even the news no longer bothers telling you the truth. They tell you their narrative. The narrative is how they shape the story of what's happening in the news and what's happening in the culture. They shape it according to their ideology and their particular mindset and their particular worldview. Even Lester Holt, an award-winning newscaster, said in a speech where he won an award about a year ago, he said, it doesn't make any difference in the world. News is not about people hearing two sides of a story. News is about me telling them what I want them to know. Yeah. Now let me underscore that, folks. There is no such thing as objective journalism. There's not. It doesn't exist. Human tradition, Paul means, are those narratives that human beings create, and in this case, about ourselves. Narratives that human beings use to explain who we are and who God is and what the world is. And there's a lot of isms out there that fall into this kind of narrative, this human tradition, but it, but it belongs to humanity, whether it's Darwinism, uh, whether it's transgenderism, uh, whether it's critical race theory. We, we invented that. People invent those narratives to try to explain who people are and why they behave the way they do. It's human tradition, not God's teaching. Paul says that's your first red flag. You recognize the deception, recognize the danger. If human beings invented it and it doesn't, it doesn't go with God. Now, uh, be careful in this also. See, all truth is God's truth, because there, and God has given us the capacity to understand truth. So much of science aligns with Scripture. Just talked about some a little while ago. I mean, the Bible says we are created male and female. The Bible actually says that in three different places. So make sure we know it. Jesus says it. Matthew 19, we're created male and female. So science up to now, an objective fact, has agreed with the Bible. We're good with that. And what that means is that science got its cues from the truth of God. But when science or any other ism deviates, it becomes human tradition. And Paul says, second, watch out for this, it's elemental. That means it's basic. Look at verse 8. These are elemental things. Basic things. That's why they sound so good, but, but they pertain to who we, who we are in human nature. They are they're very elemental to human nature. See, that, that's another red flag. Why is that a red flag? It's a red flag because everything goes back to creation. Everything. The first three chapters of the Bible are the reason we understand the rest of the Bible. The first three chapters of the Bible, therefore, are consistently and regularly under attack all the time and have been since the fall of Adam and Eve. It's that first story that explains who we are that matters. Uh, author and pastor uh, Patrick Vaughn's written a book, and in it he says you can illustrate these two different approaches to humanity and our design, who we are. You can illustrate it this way. He says... Uh, there's the Lego approach, and there's the art restoration approach. He says the Lego approach looks like this. The Lego approach assumes there is no value to the human being. There's no innate value to you at all. You just happen, by happen chance, 
you showed up. So like Legos, you can build your life any way you want to, to look any way you want to. Another way to put it is you are your own God. So you can design your life, use it like you would design Legos. And if you don't like it, well, you just take it apart and put it together again. And there's no particular value to you at all. But the art restoration version goes like this. The artist has invested value in the work of art. And the restorer of art recognizes there is a flaw in the work of art. We call that sin. There's a flaw in that work of art. But we also acknowledge that we are created in the image of God. He is our designer. So the art restoration version says, I want to know my designer even better. I am his work of art. Flawed, yes. But he knows me better than I know myself. He designed me. He made me. Not by happen chance, but intentionally. I am on planet earth because God wants me here. And God designed me and created me. Are there problems with me? Of course there are. Are there problems with humanity? You betcha. But God is still our artist. He's still our designer. So our objective is not to make the life I want to make to to provide the identity I want to get, to build the person I want to be. My objective is to be the person God created me to be. He designed me for a purpose and a life. And he's the one that knows what that life and what that purpose is. And all the time I live my life, I'm in the restoration process. And God makes me new. That's why the Bible says his mercies are new every day. Isn't that good news? You go to bed last night, you messed up. Last thing you did was mess up. Guess what? Tomorrow, his mercies are brand new. He didn't run out. You get to start in grace tomorrow. So here, you're, here's your way to recognize the danger is that it's human tradition. doesn't come from the word of God. doesn't originate there. Comes from human beings. It's elemental and basic. It's it's confusing us about who we are and who God is. And then Paul says at the end of verse 8 that it is not Christian. It's not according to Christ, he says. This is pretty interesting, isn't it? Remember, he's talking to Christians. He's talking to us. Remember, he's assuming that you know your Christian faith and your beliefs well enough to recognize that which does not belong. If progressive Christianity starts to infiltrate your life, starts to leak into the church, we should know Christ and Christianity and the Bible well enough to go, hey, wait a minute, that doesn't belong here. That doesn't belong here. If ideas from culture and your friends have start to leak into your conversations, you, you should recognize that. Now clearly what, what we mean is you need to know what you believe. You need to know what you believe. And you need to know it well. So recognize the danger, which brings me to that second point about knowing what you believe. Prepare your defense. Prepare your defense. Uh, Paul speaks to Christians who he knows may not be prepared for the onslaught that is coming their way, so he, he tells them how to make sure that they are prepared. He says, first of all, be sure you follow Christ as Lord. You follow Christ as Lord. Look at verse 6 again. So then, just as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to walk in Him. And this is the first statement he makes that is a continuing, ongoing action by Christians. 
And he says, you know Christ Jesus as Lord. Now, very literally, the phrase is Christ Jesus the Lord. It's the only time in all of Paul's letters he refers to Jesus Christ with specifically that phrase, Christ Jesus the Lord, meaning he is the Lord. There is no other. And when you decided to follow Christ, you chose to follow him as your Lord. That consistent walk in Christ, Paul says, that consistent walk in Christ, that day by day acknowledging he is your Lord will help prepare you for the battle before you. It will help you recognize false teaching and ideologies that are not aligned with God's truth. So the first thing is to be sure you are following Christ. You say, well, Pastor Bob, of course we are. Well, now pay attention to this. Because sometimes we make our decisions not based on what the Bible says, but on the world, what the world says. Sometimes we make our decisions based on what we want to do, not, not asking God, not going to the Word of God, not praying. And our approach tends to be, well, God, I'll let you know if I need you. Here's what I'm going to do. God, would you please bless this? Because I love it. It's a great idea for me. Is that following Christ as Lord, as the Lord? Of course not. It's following you and then letting God know if you need him. But if you want to be ready for the battle before you, you shore up that walk with Christ every day. He is your God. He is your Lord. He is your Savior. He is your friend. He is your Redeemer. You wake up to him in the morning. You speak to him through the day. You bow to him in the evening because he is your Lord. You follow Christ as Lord. Second, Paul says, then fortify your faith. Fortify your faith. Strengthen it and make sure you do. Verses 5 and 7, he returns to, the, to his metaphors. First in verse 5 is that, Ill, that military metaphor. Uh, I'm absent in the body, but I'm with you in spirit, rejoicing to see, look at this, how well ordered you are and the strength of your faith in Christ. So speaking to the whole church and individual believers, he said, it's good to see you fortified. It's good to see you strong and ready for battle. That's what those terms mean. Well-ordered envisions an army that's put together properly, that's, that's uh, well-disciplined and ready for battle. Does that describe us, church? Strengthened pictures the individual Christian as well as the church fortified and strong to face the battles that might lie ahead. Is that you? If Paul were writing this to us, could he say, I rejoice in how well-disciplined you are as the body of Christ, how well-ordered you are and ready for battle, and I rejoice to see you growing in Christ, walking, following your Lord. I know that you're ready and your faith is fortified. But did you notice a little bit of difference in verse 7? He changes the image, but he also changes the statement. Look at verse 7. Being rooted and built up in him and established in the faith. He doesn't say in your faith, like he did in verse 5. Here he says, in the faith, just as you were taught. To fortify your faith, you need that strong walk with Christ. You follow him as Lord. You prepare for the battle ahead. You have your faith. But your faith is based on the faith. And us as a church and you as an individual, Paul says, uh, we should be rooted in the faith, established in the faith, built up in the faith. 
Here the faith refers to the basic beliefs of every Christian. It's what, as he says, you were taught that Christians believe. When the battle for the mind and the battle for the truth comes against you, you should know what you believe so well that you recognize falsehood. The faith is the common faith and common beliefs that all Christians have at all times everywhere. And the sad truth is many Christians drift from the faith for no other reason than they don't know what they believe. They think what the world tells them is what they believe. So Paul says to fortify your faith and remember and strengthen the faith that you were taught. And then at last he says, and get this, foster consistent generosity. Foster consistent generosity. Well, that's an interesting way to end the, the whole discussion. Overflowing with gratitude. Excuse me, I said generosity, then I mean gratitude. Just smile and nod. <laughs> Overflowing with gratitude, Paul says. Now, now what in the world does gratitude and thankfulness have to do with your belief system, have to do with being solid in your faith? Here it is. Consistently, the Bible teaches one of the first indications that a person is wandering away from the basic truths of the Bible about who they are and who God is. One of the key first indicators is ingratitude. The person stops thanking God for who they are, for who he created them to be. Because gratitude is a core part of worship. When you thank God for who he made you to be, you're worshiping God as your creator. You're acknowledging he's the one that made you. He's the one that created you. So when, we, when you, you hear someone that claims to be a Christian deviate from that, that's a red flag. That's a warning sign. Uh, elsewhere in Romans chapter 1 and verse 21, Paul said, For though they knew God, they did not glorify him, listen, as God or show gratitude. To worship God, to glorify God, includes showing gratitude because he's your creator. It means you are consistently before him grateful and thankful that he made you. Now, now don't misunderstand. You know, elsewhere the Bible tells us to thank God in everything. It doesn't tell us to thank God for every single thing that happens. Here, we're talking about who we are, not the circumstances necessarily, but but. Your, your very nature, your created being. And when you're grateful to God, you're consistently grateful to God, you're constantly reminding yourself that He is your creator. He's your designer. He's your artist. And you thank Him for who you are. Don't you love that once a month, Miss Jane gets the kids up here just to thank God? Isn't that good? Now that's once a month here. What are you guys doing with your kids at home? When was the last time you sat down with your kids and before you prayed at the table, or when you prayed, you said, God, thank you for just making us who we are. Thank you for being our designer. Thank you for being our creator. Thank you for being the one who teaches us the truth. God, thank you. We are so grateful to God for who we are, who he designed us to be. If I got flaws, sure I do. Got problems, you bet. But my creator knows me. He made me. 
He knows me better than anyone else. Thirteen years ago, a young man named Josh Bell put on a baseball cap, t-shirt, blue jeans, and he went to the subway at Washington, D.C. to do what a lot of musicians do, to stand in the subway and to play his instrument uh, for loose change. So he stood down there for 48 minutes and played the violin. But Josh Bell's a little bit different. Because Josh Bell, in fact, was in Washington, D.C. for a major concert featuring him. Normally, Josh Bell makes $1,000 a minute to stand on stage and play the violin. When he was in the subway that day, he was playing a $3.5 million Stradivarius. For 48 minutes, 1,097 people walked by. Seven people stopped to listen. And six of those seven people pitched quarters into his violin case. A few that passed by pitched them in there as they ran for their subway. One lady named Stacy recognized him. She was the only one that recognized him. And she stood there in awe the whole 48 minutes. And she would say later, I was not only in awe by the majesty of his performance, but the fact that he would be down there, this great artist in the midst of all of us. And worse, nobody knew him. Nobody recognized him. People just walked by. And she said, I was mortified and appalled when the ones who did tip him pitched quarters. He made $32 that day, by the way. They just, she said, they just pitched quarters at him. But the saddest commentary probably came from a gentleman who found out later that he had walked by one of the greatest violinists in the world that didn't stop to listen. And he said, well, if I'd recognized him, I'd probably stop. You think he'll ever come back? What a sad commentary on the condition of our culture as people pass by their creator, the artist that designed them and made them. True. But is it a sad commentary on our lack of gratitude for our creator? Instead of stopping and worshiping and listening in awe to what he wants to say, instead of bowing to him because he has come to us do you just step back and pitch quarters and go on by? And that's your duty for the day. God, if I need you, I'll let you know. And hey, so what if I miss him? He'll be back next time, right? This morning, let me ask you a question. First question, believers in Christ. How's your gratitude with God? When was the last time? When was the last time? You thanked God for making you. No strings attached, not asking him for anything, just saying, God, I'm so grateful. You are my creator. And you came to me in Christ. When was the last time you said that? And if you can't remember, that probably tells you. Would you in your heart this morning, as I pray with us in just a minute, just say that to God. Thank you so much for making me. Making me who I am. Yeah, my life's not perfect. I've got ripples. I've got dust. Things are broken and bent occasionally. I get that. 
But God, you made me. You're my creator. You came to me and you love me. And if you're in this room too, you're, you're a Christian, you confess Christ, how's your worldview doing? How's your belief system doing? How's your theology doing? Do you see the difference between what's being told? Can you go to the Word of God and, and see the truth? And this battle for the truth, how are you doing? And listen, how's your family doing? How are your kids doing? What are you leading them to know and to understand about God, about truth? Because that's the battle before us, and it's not going away anytime soon. And maybe you're in this room, or you're at home, and you've never trusted Jesus Christ, your creator, as your savior. You've never committed to follow him as your Lord. I'm going to pray with you in just a minute. And if this is your day to do that, to trust Christ, I would invite you to pray with me in just a minute. So bow your heads and close your eyes. We're going to pray together. Nobody looking around. Our Heavenly Father, in this moment, God, we realize our, our gratitude lacks, God. Please forgive us for that. And Father, if you're showing us even now, Father, how lacking we've been and just being grateful to you for who you are, being grateful for you, to you for who we are, for designing us, for making us, God, please forgive us for that. And I pray, God, that each of us in this room and at home would have hearts full of gratitude, Father. We would once again renew our gratitude and our Creator for making us who we are. And God, second, I pray that we would stand that line of truth. Father, if we have adopted, accepted, or been passive when ideologies and false beliefs have come our way, if we've just sat back and said, well, you know, that kind of sounds good, but it doesn't match up to Scripture. Father, forgive us for that as well. God, get us back to where we need to be. And Father, I pray today we would recommit to follow Christ as our Lord. Maybe there's one believer in here, two or three, that we wandered off on our own. We, we realize this morning, God, the only time you hear from us is when we say, if we need you, we'll, we'll let you know. God, forgive us for that. May we reestablish, recommit ourselves to following Jesus Christ as our Lord. We can't follow the ways of the world and follow Christ at the same time. So God, today, may we say, yes, we follow Christ. And God, I pray for that one here or at home that has never yielded their lives to Christ in faith, repented of their sins, and trusted Jesus Christ as their Savior. For that person here at home, God, I pray a simple prayer with them. And I pray today would be the day, Father, they would choose and say yes to trusting Christ and following Jesus. Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner, and I know I can't save myself. And Jesus, I, I, I believe you died on the cross for me, and that you're alive today. So Jesus, in faith I ask that you would forgive me of my sins. I repent of my sin, and I turn to Christ and Christ alone by faith to follow you. Jesus, come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. Cleanse me. Make me new. And give me a home in heaven. And we pray these things, all of these things in faith, Lord Jesus. And God, I pray you do a work here in our midst and in our homes today, in our families, among our children. God, strengthen us in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Strengthen us in how we think. God, help us to stand firm for the truth. And it's in Jesus' precious name we pray.